Well, here we are, the second Sunday after Christmas, but also looking toward Epiphany. And so today, our message is based on Matthew chapter 2, verses 1 to 12. It's really the Magi's story, the wise men's story. I'm going to call it something better than religion. 25 plus years ago, Osmobile, in an effort to reach a new generation, came up with the classic advertising campaign. This is not your father's Oldsmobile. In their ads, they teamed up some famous fathers and their children. For example, Ringo Starr and his daughter, William Shatner and his daughter, and so on. The campaign created such a catchphrase that you still hear it used sometimes today to describe something in transition, like, this is not your father's Republican Party, or this is not your father's army, or this is not your father's job market, and so on. When Jesus came into the world, you might say he came in with the message, this is not your father's religion. That's because he came preaching a message that his generation had never heard. True religion is not about race and it's not about ritual. It's a relationship with a loving heavenly father. Jesus came into a world in which many people thought that righteousness was defined by how you washed your hands or what kind of clothes you wore, what kind of food you didn't eat, and whether or not you worked on Saturday. Organized religion had pretty much lost its way, and so Jesus came into the world to show us what it really means to know God, to love God, and lead a godly life. Now, no story in the Bible better illustrates the this-is-not-your-father's-religion mindset than the story of the Magi. This story presents a radical view of God that challenged the belief systems of first century Jews and continues to challenge us today. We have a tendency to want to box God in and paint him exclusively in our team colors, as if Christianity is red, white, and blue, or as if real Christianity is southern, or as if real Christianity fits within the confines of our denomination, or I might even say our lack of denomination. It's interesting to me that when I'm on the mission field, how this plays out. In Africa, for example, when I was there, people were gathering in homes. They'd sing, they'd dance, they'd laugh, they'd fellowship. But then would come Sunday morning, and suddenly the men were dressed in black suits with dress shirts and ties, and the women wore white, kind of American-looking dresses, and instead of singing songs of their heritage, they sang American hymns, because when the missionaries came to this village in the early 20th century, and began converting people, they told them, this is how Christians dress on Sunday morning, and these are the kind of songs you sing. For those involved in spreading the gospel throughout the world, it has always been a challenge to make the distinction between cultural preferences and biblical principles, or even in our churches today, it's still the st struggle of style versus substance. During his ministry, Jesus challenged some of these ideas such as working on the Sabbath and hand-washing rituals. Later, Peter and Paul also challenged some of these ideas, such as dietary restrictions and circumcision. That's because the message of the gospel is that it isn't about race, and it isn't about ritual. It's about a personal relationship with God through Jesus the Christ. This is why the story of the Magi, or the story of the wise men, is my favorite part of the Christmas story. It shows us how our God is an all-inclusive God, that he loves everyone in the whole wide world and extends his grace to everyone. As we take a look at this story, understand that there are some misconceptions about it. 
In our Christmas pageants, we usually have the wise men arriving stage right just moments after the shepherd boys exit stage left. But the wise men might not have arrived on Christmas night. In fact, most scholars speculate that it might have been as much as two years after the birth of Jesus. Matthew tells us that they came to the house where Jesus and Joseph and Mary were staying and that they saw the young child, not the newborn babe. Of course, another tradition is that they arrived on the sixth day of January, twelve days after the birth of Christ, which is why the ancient church celebrated the twelve days of Christmas. Another misconception is that there were three wise men. Now, the Bible never says. It just says they came, or there came wise men from the east to Jerusalem. Now, we've settled on three because they brought three gifts, cold, frankincense, and myrrh. But in the Eastern Church, it is typically believed that there were twelve wise men. Another misconception is that they were kings, because after all, we sing, we three kings of Orient are. The Bible actually uses the word magos, which is transliterated as magi, and translated as wise men. But actually, they were priests of another religion, astronomers who believe that God speaks through the stars. While the political and religious leaders of the day were clueless about the birth of Christ, God chose to reveal the miracle of the birth of the Messiah to this group of spiritual seekers. The story of the wise men teaches us three wonderful things about the gospel according to Christmas. Let's take a look at those. Well, first of all, we discover that God reveals himself to those who seek him. In verses 1 and 2, it says, In the time of King Herod, after Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea, Wise men from the east came to Jerusalem, asking, Where is the child who has been born king of the Jews? For we have observed his star at its rising, and have come to pay him homage. Astronomers do tell us <coughs> that for a period of time around the birth of Christ, there was, in fact, a star which shone brightly in the eastern sky. That star was there for everybody to see. The Jews could have seen it. The Pharisees and Sadducees and Herod could have seen it. Anyone who looked at the sky could see this magnificent star shining brightly. Yet only the Magi followed the star in order to find Jesus. And find him they did, because that's how God is. He reveals himself to those who are looking for him. It is not an insignificant detail that the wise men weren't Jewish. It is not an insignificant detail that they were priests of another religion. By this, God is telling the world that this Jesus is not just the king of the Jews, but he's savior of all humankind. It doesn't matter if you're Jew or Gentile, if you're black or white, rich or poor, male or female, American, African, Asian, or European. None of this really matters. This story teaches us that God will reveal himself to anyone who seeks him. Many of you are familiar with that passage from Jeremiah 29, verse 13. When you search for me, you find me if you seek me with all your heart. It doesn't matter who you are, where you are, or what your background is. If you want to know, he will reveal himself to you. Well, second, God speaks to those who will listen. Verse 12, And having been warned in a dream not to return to Herod, they left for their own country by another road. I find this interesting. God spoke to these men through a dream. The important thing is that they were paying attention. They chose to listen. It was a choice they had to make. 
they could believe that God was speaking to them or they could decide it was their imagination. It takes faith to believe that God is speaking to you and it takes faith to act on that belief. Now there are two ways to look at it. One person might say God spoke to me in a dream, while another says I dreamed that God spoke to me. Do you see the difference? One is driven by faith, the other by skepticism. In order to have a dynamic relationship with God, we must embrace the belief that God speaks to those who will listen. But how does he speak to us? Well, certainly God speaks to us through the Bible. Psalm 119, 105 says, Thy word is a lamp unto my feet and a light unto my path. So God speaks through his word. When we read the Bible, God reveals his will to us. He gives us direction for our lives. He shows us the way we should go. We also know that God speaks to us through the preaching or teaching of his word. Christian writer Peter Lord tells a story about visiting a church while on vacation. He was hoping to hear a dynamic sermon and was disappointed to discover that a young and inexperienced associate pastor had been invited to preach that day. And to his dismay, Peter said that the young man didn't appear to be a very good preacher. But something amazing happened that Sunday morning. God spoke to Peter Lord through the sermon. God's will was revealed to him, and God gave him direction for his life. You see, friends, the preaching and teaching of the Bible is sacred. Most preachers and Bible teachers know that even our best efforts fall drastically short of the mark as we strive to communicate the greatness of God. And yet God is able to use our feeble attempts to speak to those who are listening to his voice. We also know that God speaks to us through many other sources. We cannot limit the way God chooses to speak to us. He may speak to you through the counsel of a close friend, or through your parents, or through your children, or through an event, or through a book, or during the time of meditation, or while you're watching the news, or any time that you're listening for God's voice to give you direction. One little caveat, though. God spoke to the wise men through the stars and through the dream, and everything he told them was consistent with God's word. God may speak to you through a dream, but when he does, it will confirm and never contradict what he has spoken in his word. Here's our third thing. God leads those who will follow. In verses 9 to 10, it says, They set out, and there ahead of them went the star that they had seen at its rising, until it stopped over the place where the child was. When they saw that the star had stopped, they were overwhelmed with joy. On entering the house, they saw the child with Mary his mother, and they knelt down and paid him homage. The star led to the wise men, and the star led the wise men to Jesus. It was there for anyone to see, but only these men had the spiritual acuity to follow. If you are willing to let God lead you through the day-to-day -day events of your life, he will do it. The road may not always be easy, but he will lead you if you're willing to follow. The story is told of a missionary who got lost in an African jungle, nothing around him but bush. He found a native hut and asked the native if he could lead him out. The native said he could. All right, said the missionary, show me the way. And the native said, follow me. Well, they walked and hacked their way through unmarked jungle for more than an hour. The missionary was worried. He said, are you quite sure this is the way? Where is the path? The native said, Boana, in this place there is no path. I am the path. There are times in our lives when we find ourselves in situations which offer no clear-cut answers. It is at these times we can trust ourselves completely to God, knowing that he will lead us each step of the way. The truth is he wants to lead us more than we want to follow. 
Today's Bible story is certainly not new to any of you. It's a story we have heard since we were children. It's a story we hear every December. But this is not just a Christmas story. It is a gospel story. It is a spiritual life story. The story of the wise man offers insight into the nature and character of God and how he relates to us. The story of the wise men teaches us that it is not about religion. It is not about race or ritual. It's about a relationship with the God who loves you. Do you want to know God? Do you want to know what he's really like? Seek him. You'll find him. Listen for his voice and he'll speak to you. Be willing to follow and he'll lead you every step of the way, every day of your life. May God grant this to all of us. And until next time, see the vision, live the mission, feel the passion.